Amen. Good morning, church. Let me get my stool over here. You know, I can't do two things at once. My wife's made that way. I'm not made that way. So there's always a transition if I'm ever playing on a Sunday. For my brain, thank you, all of you, noting the last piece that needs to be changed. Well, welcome. If this is your first time here, welcome. We're so glad you can be here. And if you're tuning in for the first time online, I just love to be able to say that in this day and age. Um, welcome. We're so glad that you're either watching or that you're here. Um, my name is David. This is my brother, Reuben. Uh, God has called us to be a church that has two teaching pastors because we've got two languages and he has put together from the beginning two bodies that spoke two different languages, but we're embracing each other in the hope of Jesus Christ, in the one spirit that we have in Jesus Christ. We've got to see something really cool that God has put together here as a body, as a family that speaks two languages, but has one hope, one family operating under our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we are finishing today our series through uh, ambassadors, what we've called it, what it means to be an ambassador. We've gone through uh, all of the elements of the gospel, of the hope that we have in Christ, um, and we're trying to encourage each other in this time the truth that we are all ambassadors for Jesus Christ. As those who have been reconciled to God, now we are a part of the ministry of reconciliation to those that God has put around us, where you're placed the workplace that you're in, the soccer team that you're a part of, the workout place that you're in, and the people that you know there, where, wherever it is God has placed you, there's a purpose in it. Relationships have a purpose in them that, that is what God is working through you so that they can see Jesus Christ first in you, that they can know Jesus Christ through your words, and that they can be brought also into relationship with God through the saving work of Jesus Christ. So in this time we've been going through, uh, we've had a memory verse every week, and I added one in the mix. So we've got seven memory verses at the end of this. Um, and just, just quoting the verses tells the story. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5, 8. God shows his love, love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And boy, then we have this amazing truth. The, the Romans 12, 1. I think that's what I have next. Romans 12, 1. That, oh, I know it in a whole different version. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What's the next one that I had? I missed one. I skipped one. Romans. How, how do we even accept salvation? Romans 10, 9. Uh, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Our final verse, unless I skipped one, Lord help me. 
I've got them. Romans 3.23, we learned about sin. Romans 6.23, we learned about death. Romans 5.8, we learned about the love of God. Romans 10.9, we learned about our own faith. In Romans 8.1, we learn uh, that we have freedom. There's no condemnation. Uh, and did we hit that one? That's one we missed. Romans 8.1, there we go. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then we had in Romans 12, 1, our purpose to be servants of God, to follow him and worship him. That we, we have the most incredible purpose in our life. If you're going, why do I wake up every morning? There's so many people in this world right now that wonder when they wake up, what's the purpose of all this? Why? Why? There's the purpose, to serve and worship and glorify God. And then finally, I have a new one for us this morning. As we look to the hope that we have in Christ, as we look to what it means to be the bride of Christ, in Romans 8, 18, let's, let's uh, repeat this one a few times. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Again, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. One more time. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. As we look to the hope ahead of us, do you even know what it means to be the bride? I expect some people that might not be something that comes up a lot when you think about Christianity and, and, and our identity. Uh, everything we have talked about so far, even though there is a, a body aspect to it, especially in adoption, that we are, we are adopted into the body of Christ, we're a part of this family, it's still easy to consider our salvation in terms of an individual relationship with God, which we do have an individual relationship with God. And to consider our new identity as, as our individual identity with Christ, which is true, we can think of it in that way. But when we start talking about the bride, there's no space for thinking about it individually. There is only one bride, the Jesus Christ. And that's all of us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And so, actually, my first point this morning for us to look at is just to realize that our identity as the bride, we are his bride together. We are his bride together. Do we live in the light of the hope that we have? Is that... Romans 8.18, a reality in our life that, that as we look at what we're going through now, that, we, that, that we're able to say this is, this is nothing. It's not even worthy of being compared to the glory that I'm going to have in Jesus Christ. Do we know what it is to be the bride? When we look at those around us uh, here and, and, and our, our neighboring churches and, and those that, that are believers around us, do we see them in terms of the eternal purpose of God for us together with them in eternity as the bride? Do we see it in that way? Is that part of how we see every day as we walk with Christ? Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word. 
God, thank you for the amazing grace that you have just poured on us. God, as we have just dug in and tried to dig deep into, into, into each of these truths about the salvation and the grace and the hope that we have in you, God, it's, it's, it's amazing. God, I pray this morning that you would show us the glory that's ahead of us. God, there is no way I, in my own strength, in my own words, can hope to put uh, the, any part of the glory of what awaits us into our hearts this morning. God, that only happens by your Holy Spirit opening our eyes to see even the tiniest bit, to taste even the tiniest bit of what it's going to be like. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I want to know, God, more of what it's going to be like to be with you. So that every day, God, I will live in the light of that glory. Lord, speak to us this morning. Thank you. Amen. All right. Turn with me to John chapter 14. In the context of this, Jesus has told his disciples that he's going to be going away. They don't understand. This is where Peter, before this, says, I'll go with you anywhere, Lord. And that's when he says, oh, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to be denying me. But then he says in, in 14, chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He says, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas is going, I don't even know where you're going. How do I know the way to where you're going? What path is going to take me to where you're going if I don't even know where you're going. Well, the way he was talking about was not, not a path. It, it wasn't an it. It was a person that Thomas knew. He knew Jesus. So Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you don't know Jesus... If you've never committed your life to Christ, if you've never laid down your life in faith to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, know that there is only one way to the Father. And it's not a sequence of things that we do. It's not a path that we can take. It's through the person of Jesus Christ. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. But he says, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. See, Jewish wedding ceremonies and how that all works out is different than what we're used to. And I'm not an expert in it, but, but there's some cool things about, if we go back, Old Testament, it's changed somewhat over time, but there's still connections back to what they had done. And, and it's not by accident uh, the way that, that works out, marriage within a Jewish culture um, but, but you would have 
uh, these three phases, really, of, uh, of a wedding. And, and the first, uh, you, you'd go to find, there's this betrothal period. And even ahead of that, there's a lot of arranged marriages. Um, and that was much more common then. And so it could either be the father going out or sending someone out to go find a wife for my son, um, or the son himself uh, could go out to find a wife. Um, but then once the wife is found, then, then there would be often this price that would be paid uh, that was not based on the wealth of the wife's family, but on the, on the wealth of, of the father's family. And then you'd enter into this betrothal period. And often uh, a token would be given uh, some value to, uh, to the up-and-coming bride, to the woman, as a guarantee. And that groom would leave then to go prepare a place for them to live. And, and we see that in Jesus and his bride. In a sense, this is an arranged marriage. If I look in Ephesians chapter 1, it's from God's almighty view from, from before the foundations of the world, he chose you. He chose us. He chose the bride. And, and then Christ went to go to his bride, and he paid a great price. He paid his own life. He gave his life to save us from our sin. That was the price paid for his bride. And a token was left as a guarantee of his return. That gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Guarantee of our inheritance with Christ. And then here we see Christ saying, there's no, there's no accident that he says, I go to prepare a place for you. This is in terminology of what happens with a bride. And so this betrothal period, that's what we're in right now. That's what, if you look at the, the story of Mary and Joseph, um, that was the period they were in. Uh, betrothal, and, and betrothal is a lot more than engagement. It's kind of like engagement uh, that we do, but it's an engagement that would require divorce to get out of. It's, it's a, a much stronger binding engagement than what we're used to. Um, and, and in this betrothal period, uh, the groom, it's, it's kind of this tradition that the groom could come at any time to go get his bride. And so the bride is there getting ready expecting at any moment the groom could come. That's where we're at right now. Expecting at any moment Jesus could be coming for his bride. And then when that, when that does happen, there's, there's just this uh, celebration that happens as the groom goes to take his bride and brings his bride. And there's a, the second phase of ceremony is this phase of presentation. And let's look ahead because there is prophecy in this book that allows us to look ahead into Revelation in chapter 19. There has been no wedding in history that has had this kind of a celebration in the presentation of the bride. And it says in 19, starting in verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory 
For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. See how we're preparing as a bride even now? As we walk in obedience to Christ in righteousness, that's the garments that we'll be wearing as his bride on that day. It says, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down, (laughs) he says, then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, it's the angel speaking, for the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened. See, they're saying, the bride is coming, she's prepared, but then this is us coming. Jesus has gone to gather his bride. Then I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, the... There are many Bible scholars that I, I, I respect that take different views of these passages that are in front of us. Um, the view that, that I understand this to be is a straightforward reading of what's here, that as it unfolds here is as it will unfold. And so what, what we'll see coming after this is that following Christ, we then go and, and, stand, and, and the nations of the world, the, the armies of the nations of the world are there set against Christ and us. And, and there's a battle that ensues that we don't really do anything but watch. It's all Christ who overcomes. And then that begins, in that, the, the sat, Satan is, is bound. You can no longer deceive the nations at that point. And it begins a thousand-year period of reign with Christ. And, and it's not until the end of that thousand years then that we see uh, another battle as, as Satan is loosed again. He deceives the nations of the world and they all come to attack. And then once again, a battle that there's really not much to say about it because Christ then calls down fire and, 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 and wins that battle. And then we see, uh, <laughs> it, it says it in such you get a little more detail in other books of the Bible, which is, uh, you get the great white throne and everything, the heaven and the sky, the earth and the sky just kind of disappear. Or it's described in Second Peter as more this, this fiery, rushing fire inferno that, uh, that you have these heavenly bodies that are just dissolving and melting. And what's going on there? Well, my dad is, is an atomic physicist. And I love it when a Christian atomic physicist looks at the Bible and thinks, 
What's going on? Because the Bible is true. If you doubt that, that what we see in experiment and, and the truth of what's around us is, is somehow different than the truth of the Bible, talk to my dad, an atomic physicist, who sees things at the smallest level. <laughs> but, but he looks at this and he says, well, in, in Colossians 1.17, it says that, that Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He says, well, as a physicist, I, I know of four forces in the world that we have discovered. There's gravity. There's electromagnetic force. There's the weak force and the strong force that have to do with elementary particles and stuff that I don't understand, but my dad does. All of those things are held together by Christ. So then, he just let's go. And everything, in an atomic inferno of explosion, Everything that we have built, uh, if Elon Musk finally makes his, his uh, little thing on, on Mars that he's trying to work on doing, that, that'll just, it'll disappear. The, the space station will disappear. The moon and the sun will just, nothing. And we see nothing, and then we just see the great white throne, and there's judgment both terrible and wonderful at the same time. If, if you're in a place right now where you're thinking, you know what, I, I'm just going to count on the fact that I've done enough good things. I'm generally a good person. That, that if, if that ever happens and I have to face that, that that's going to carry me. Well, it, it talks about these books being open. All the works that we have done will be there. No one is saved by what's in those books. There's another book that's opened. It's the book of the, it's the Lamb's Book of Life. It's only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life that are saved. Everyone else is cast into hell, the lake of fire, the same place that Satan is cast, the beast, the false prophet. They're all thrown into the lake of fire. But then we see a change. That's done. And I think the wedding ceremony is not over yet. I think possibly that thousand-year reign is, is the celebration period that would normally take a few days uh, as the presentation of the bride and the celebration and all of that. That's our thousand years. We're not, we're not to the end of the wedding celebration or ceremony yet. Um, Look with me in uh, chapter 21 of Revelation. You know, I consider uh, when we were married, my wife and I, where are you? She's hiding. Oh, there's right there in front of me. My wife coming down the aisle, arrayed as, as a bride. My bride. That day, I was good for nothing. I just had to make sure I could stand there at the right time because that was all that mattered right there, my bride. How does that work? I know our ceremonies aren't exactly what Jewish ceremonies are, but, but it seems like this is something like that. How does it work, though, when the bride is made up of millions of people? They all just come down the aisle 
No, God has his way of representing the one bride. It says, then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The bride that he had given his life for, beholding her, adorned as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The bride of Christ. Now as as beautiful and pure and holy without sin. And then we see down in verse 9, then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride. And this is the first time we're called the wife of the lamb. We are the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall and 12 gates and at the 12 gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And it goes on to describe the, the dimensions of this massive uh, Jerusalem city. It tells us the width and, and, the, the width and, and length. It, it, it doesn't tell us much about what's inside, except it tells us the height of the walls. If you convert those into miles, it's... 1,500 miles square on the bottom and walls that are 1,500 miles high. Um, It's a good thing that everything passes away because every low-orbit satellite would run into those walls, including the International Space Station would run into those walls. (laughs) I don't know the dimensions of the new earth. We'll be in new bodies and a new earth and new heavens. It'll all be new. And then verse 22, it says, And I saw no temple. In the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. God himself will dwell with us for eternity. Look with me in Ephesians. Well, I got to watch the clock. I might skip something. Oh, no. Look with me in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Let's come back to present time. We've been looking, oh boy. We've been looking to the future. Come back to what God is doing now. Ephesians chapter 2. And in verse 20, and it says, We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. This is us. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Those that we saw written on that Jerusalem, on the gates and on the foundation. 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you see the importance of together? The bride being built together. You see the connection that, that ultimately a purpose is, is being worked out and even now to join us in unity to a purpose that God has for all eternity that's gonna be glorious as his bride. What does his bride look like right now? And then, and then to see just the, the prayer in Paul's heart. If I go to the next chapter in Ephesians, he says, as he's praying for the church, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, God would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that we would know the love of God, that we'd be able to express the love of God and be in unity in the love of God to a purpose to be filled with all the fullness of God, ultimately. Praise the Lord. To be his bride together. Second point. Boy, I have run the time. Our view of eternal marriage with Christ should transform our view of our marriage now. And I'm gonna just hit this briefly. Second point is that marriage is glorious. Marriage is glorious. If I look even in the next chapter in Ephesians in chapter five, starting in verse 31, Paul quotes from Genesis and he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That, that was spoken there before the fall. That was part of God's design from the beginning. And he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, now there's a sense that right then it, it is talking about Adam and Eve and God instituted marriage there. But he's saying that that is referring to Christ and the church. And by extension, every marriage is referring to Christ and the church. I don't think there's any of us here that aren't in some way connected to broken marriage. Through a friend, through family, maybe in your own marriage. I don't think there's a single marriage that we can say it's been perfect. But no church, that, that marriage points to a glorious marriage to which we are all a part. And there's a purpose in that. And, he, and actually, in this, in this section, as Paul is, is speaking to the Ephesians about what it is uh, to live um, in, in submission to Christ and what our marriages should look like, this, this connection to the marriage, the eternal marriage, uh, he's tying it to, is so glorious that it's almost like he leaves us behind and he stops talking about our marriage and he starts talking about things that are greater than what's happening in our marriage. And, and it's like he gets drawn into this glory of, of what this other marriage is gonna be or is even now as we're in this betrothal period. Let me read through it real, real quickly. Um, it's all in the context, and we have a difficulty with this because 
we take this and we say, well, is this saying that one person in the marriage is, is more valuable or less valuable than the other? That's not the case at all. The, the whole purpose of this is to point at the surpassing value of Christ and the marriage with Christ. And it's in this context of submitting to one another that it's given in verse 21 of chapter 5. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Wives, you are an example, a display of the glory of the bride. You have this wonderful privilege to show the world, whether they understand it or not, God sees it and knows this is the glory of his bride being displayed in every marriage. In verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, we are to die for our wives. What what we are to our wives is an example of Christ to his church. How well are we showing that? The first Adam didn't do it well. The first Adam just stood by while while his wife... uh, was there at the tree. He was right there with her. He was passive. The second Adam Christ was not passive. We need to be like Christ to our wives. Are we laying down our life? This has nothing to do with fairness. The wife says, this isn't equal. The husband says, this isn't fair. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Christ and his church. We are to be a display of the glory of that. And so husbands, we need to lay down our lives. And then it kind of, it gets beyond us. Um, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now we see the sanctifying work that Christ is doing to his church. We're starting to get more into the glory of what is the church. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. That's what we saw. The the new Jerusalem in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. He's working that purpose in us now as his bride. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. We are the body of Christ. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Husbands, are you nourishing and cherishing your wives? Do we realize as the bride that Christ nourishes and cherishes us? That even as we're working through what it is to be in this world, he is nourishing and cherishing us. Marriage is glorious. And the final point, he is coming soon. He is coming soon. We need to live in light of the truth of that. At the end of Revelation, Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. It doesn't get clearer than that. We should live in expectancy just as a wife waiting for the return, is preparing for the return, to be ready in that moment that the groom comes to claim his wife, that we are ready in that moment 
What does the bride look like right now? Are we ready for him to come? Can we look at Romans 8.18 and say, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Are we looking for that? Are we expecting? Are we looking for his return? Lord Jesus, come quickly. What are you looking forward to the most? In uh, about 12 years ago, uh, I interviewed a, a, a couple at our church. Um, I'd like you to hear their testimony about what they're looking forward to. Uh oh. There you go. <laughs> as a small child, I got a lot of comments. Uh, apart from the probably is We may not get to hear their testimony. Well, maybe I will just summarize real quickly. <laughs> um, in, in year 2000, uh, Christmas 2000, they uh, got a knock at their door, and their son, who was 19 years old at the time, uh, they were asked to identify their son. He killed in, in a car accident. And... Um, their testimony is incredible about just, even in the midst of that, their trust in their Savior, Jesus. And, and that through that, then, their, their trust in Christ and, and their dependency on him to, to their son's girlfriend and his best friend then came to Christ through that testimony. And then to, to hear them in, in just joy on their face to express how they're looking forward to that day when they get to be with Christ. And, and, and to express that what they're looking forward to most is to, be, is to see Jesus face to face, that's first. And then to see their son again. And to see all of those other loved ones that have gone before them. And then, and then to see others that come after them. And then to hear Rich talk about just how, how glorious it is, that hope that we have as we look forward to being with Christ. We might be with Christ without ever passing away. He could come at any moment. If you knew he was coming tomorrow, if you knew he was coming after the service ends, what would you do different? Would you do anything different? We need to always live in the light of what God is. Of, of the possibility of the groom coming for his bride. What a glorious day that's gonna be. Let's, let's worship together this morning, just looking and thinking about what it's gonna be like to be with Christ, to meditate on that.
We're the bride. And the groom is coming for his bride. I look forward to that. Lord Jesus, God, we wait for you. Jesus Christ, our groom. God, I pray that you would help us. Jesus, help us to be your bride in a way that's glorious to you. God, help us let that be our focus as a church. God, as we represent you to the world around us, God, let it be with the glory of your bride here in this world, showing the radiance of your love, of your glory. God, we want that, and we need you to guide us. We look forward to your return, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.